at Zach Woodliffe Incorporate. And you know, it is a privilege and an honor to have a voice. It is. It's also a blessing to have the ability to share your story. I do want to say that everyone listening to this has a voice and they have a story and there may be pressures that you have or that someone told you along the way that you sharing your story is unwise or it could create harm for you or um, it's not the time right or place to tell your story and I'm going to tell you the most powerful tool you have truly the most powerful tool you have is your voice you will never ever 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 have anything else more powerful than the stories you hold and I hope whoever's listening to this wherever you're at and whatever you're going through that you recognize the power of your voice you recognize the power of your story your story is the beautiful thing about your story is that it's yours you know living corporate was created because we wanted to tell stories stories like yours you listening to this this show right we're passionate about centering and amplifying black and brown voices at work we're passionate about telling stories we're passionate about those stories challenging the very systems and structures that a lot of us have been conditioned to believe are immutable perfect or unscalable or unassailable or um, beyond reproach we're at a different time y'all and I just hope wherever you are that you you examine your stories you cherish your stories and I hope I hope I hear your stories I do I do your voice matters you know it's with that I'm really excited about just where Living Corporate continues to go and grow in a few weeks we'll be releasing something pretty dope um, to help to help people in developing their understanding and journeys along their careers um, for aspirational allies as well as for those who are coming from historically marginalized excluded, exploited backgrounds I'm excited about our journey as as an organization I'm excited about the platform that we'll be sharing in a, in a few weeks. And I'm excited about another platform that we're going to be talking about more in the summer, but just know that everything that we do is always going to be powered by storytelling. It's how we have connections. It's how we create impact. It's how we leave a mark. It's through the stories. It's not through your salary. It's not through your title. It's not through your accolades. It's not through anything else. It's through your stories. 
I'm excited also about the conversation that we had today, um, that we have, or rather that we're bringing to you today. I am, uh, with, um, with Shy Pollard. Um, you know, Shy is the head of DEI Nerd Wallet. It was a pretty interesting conversation because we talk about like the very systems that create economic um, inequities for black and brown people. And we talk about the realities of these myths <laughs> that um, mainstream media propagates about black and brown people, particularly black people. And we examine the systems that need to change so that we can so that we can really see any sort of real movement um, for black and brown communities. And so I'm excited uh, to sit down with Shy. I'm excited about the competition we had. Shout out Nerd Wallet. And um, listen, I want y'all to listen to Shy's story. Because it's a story and it's worth listening to just like yours is. Now, we're going to uh, pay a few bills and then we'll be back. All right. I'll see you soon. Shy, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? You know what? I'm doing really well. I'm seeing that you over here. You know, you making the rounds, nerd wallet got you outside, making sure that, you know, you're being seen as as well you should be. You know, I really wanna one, just thank you for being on the show. Um, and I know you're Nerd Wallet's new head of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Talk to me about like your path and ex- accepting that role, right? Yeah. And the reason I, I asked that because a lot of times, you know, these organizations, and this is no shade to Nerd Wallet per, per specifically or personally, is we, they go out and they get these roles, but they don't always necessarily know what they're these organizations. They, they try to hire for these people without right. a real clear strategy of what they're actually trying to achieve. Right. When you think about this landscape right now with like um, woke becoming this whole amorphous term that attacks anything that's black mm-hmm. and brown. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're looking at all these recessionary fears. I'm just curious as to like what what was the journey in NerdWallet engaging you? And then what was yeah. your process and even accepting the opportunity? Yeah, great question. So um, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to um, be featured here and have this conversation. And we can talk all about the weaponization of woke and all the things. I have many thoughts. Um, But in terms of my journey to NerdWallet, I um, essentially have been uh, fully focused on DEI for quite some time now. And I worked for a variety of industries. I started kind of in the media and tech space moved to transportation tech and then journeyed into like social media for a really short period of time and then um, ultimately spent a good chunk of my time on what I like to say this out of the chaos at a space tech company and all these companies are very different not only different in their approach to the product that they offer but also in their approach to even how DEI is defined and strategy and really how they dabble in this space. So Nerd Wallet for me was very serendipitous. Um, I got introduced to who is now my leader right at the start of the pandemic where I unfortunately was laid off. Unfortunately and fortunately, right? Because it's only been up since that layoff. But I was laid off from um, the company that I was at at the time. Um, and ultimately 
via some of the connections that I had made throughout my career, I was introduced to, again, my now boss. And she was at a completely different company and ultimately wanted to bring me on board at that company, but I didn't want to relocate. I am based in Southern California, LA, so Central LA to be exact. And ultimately, unless somewhere is very compelling, I'm not really looking to move anytime soon. And you can imagine for all the reasons, aka the weather, um, and aka I, I like living in more progressive, you know, um, areas, right, where there's a bit more acceptance. Obviously, that's not always the case, but trending in the right direction, I'll say. Um, and so stayed in contact with her and ultimately spent some time at a social media company and then moved to a space tech company. And around, um, I want to say summer of last year, I'm really big on manifestation. And at the company that I was, um, I had the opportunity to do some really amazing work with the city of Long Beach, California, really around empowerment and workforce empowerment. And so to add more context, um, the company was a part of what they called a space beach boom. So a lot of aerospace companies, and you know, right now it's aerospace everything, decided that they wanted to headquarter in Long Beach, California. If you are familiar with Long Beach, California, um, it is a very diverse city. It is diverse not only from a racial um, standpoint, but also from a socioeconomic standpoint. And as you can imagine, there are... Um, implications when companies, specifically tech companies, move into areas that um, are very diverse in terms of socioeconomic status, indexing more on working class, and what the increase in salary and the increase in purchasing power that these companies afford to their employees, aka gentrification. So Long Beach is one of the cities that I've seen do this very well, where they wanted to make sure that as they afford more of these companies, um, space, right, to operate, um, they wanted to hold these organizations accountable to ensuring that they're pouring back into Long Beach through opportunities, through mentorship, and through essentially in, in making sure that this next generation of aerospace professionals mirror and look like the residents of Long Beach. So did a lot of work with them, more on like workforce development and mentorship. And I remember having the thought of like, it would be really dope to work for a company that not only focuses on empowerment from an internal HR CSR perspective, but also simply from the product, right? And the, the good and service that they're offering to the world. I did not expect for my manifestation to come into fruition as quickly as it did. Um, but several months later, I get an amazing message from a recruiter on LinkedIn, letting me know about this opportunity to work for NerdWallet. I have been a NerdWallet user for quite some time. I'm going to just throw in all the context that I am first generation. I am of, you know, Haitian descent. And so as you can imagine, I'm first generation American. Financial literacy is not something that I grew up with. My parents were very big on making a dollar out of 15 cents, but we didn't necessarily talk about, you know, how to make your money work for you, how to make your money grow. My mom just started using a credit card like two months ago because she's, in her mind, any debt was bad debt, right? So for me to uh, pay the path forward and really focus on generational wealth, I had to discover a lot of that on my own. And NerdWallet was instrumental in that. So was familiar with the, the product, familiar with the company, um, pair that with 
the person that I mentioned that tried to recruit me for another company is now, you know, uh, the chief people officer here. So it, it was a lot of serendipity that led me to Nerd Wallet, specifically around being able to work with a leader that I really admire and respect and work for a company that's focused solely on financial empowerment and providing financial solutions and financial literacy to everybody. So again, my manifestations really come in full circle and also have the opportunity to permanently work from home and stay in LA. So it was a no brainer for me to make the jump. I love that. And you know, it's interesting because it's rare. I mean, it's a privilege rather, right? That like in this society that your passion and your your real interests align with what you get paid to do, you know, like that's, that's a privilege in itself. You know, I'm curious. Absolutely. I'm I'm curious, right? Like as you look at, as I Google nerd wallet and I type Mm -hmm. in racism or I type in black and Brown, I mean, nerd wallet has been uh, dropping content um, about uh, the realities of um, of, uh, of white supremacy. Now they're not going to say it like that, or y'all haven't historically, but <laughs> y'all talk. <laughs> but y'all talk about redlining and right. um, and and black business owners being shut out from capital and um, and just like and and systemic barriers. I think I'm I'm curious, like <sighs> when you look at the history of this country and you think mm-hmm. about like the reality of the function of capitalism, like it's been in its most effective or impactful, like in spaces where it was, there was a high degree of regulation and accountability from governmental agencies so that um, these systems could be still not fair, but much, but at least balanced a bit much more than they are today um, in our highly unregulated environment. I'm curious, like, like when you think about NerdWallet and Mm -hmm. its function in creating uh, wealth equity, or at least driving awareness towards matters of that nature, for, especially for historically marginalized groups. Like, what responsibility do you account for yourself as their head of DEI? Yeah, yeah, great, great question. It's something that I think about a lot, and I've thought about in recent months. Um, for me, it's really important that we build the right internal um, structure, and what I mean by that is really we we find the right talent that can stay ahead, um, stay abreast on what's going on, and mirror the audience that we serve, right? And so you see a lot of that content because we have those perspectives on the team, right? And we're very thoughtful and intentional in how we hire and how we think about DEI, not just from a programmatic standpoint, which a lot of organizations take the more programmatic approach, but really from the standpoint of how do we weave it into everything that we do? Because again, our product and our offerings serve a global audience. And in order to effectively do that, especially when we think about the conversation around finances, financial literacy, generational wealth, and to your point, trying to empower folks in a way where we can almost backhanded undo some of these legacies of systemic exclusion. It's really important that we are making sure, again, we have the right perspectives in the room and the perspectives and the folks that are contributing to how we operate, how we build our product, what we offer, and how we essentially create our culture internally, mirror our audience as best as we can. And if there are gaps, right, how do we fill those perspective gaps? Sometimes you can't fill those perspective gaps with talent. For example, if we are looking to empower retirees, which is actually a conversation we had 
internally in a, in a session that I led around embracing equity, we're not hiring retirees, right? They're retired. But how do we strategically and thoughtfully partner with the right entities to make sure that we have that perspective and we can speak to that perspective? I think also taking it a step further um, and double clicking on embedding it in everything that we do. Um, as the head of DEI at NerdWallet, I'm fortunate to work with a group of engaged leaders that, you know, strive to think about this and in how we operate and what we do and how we're setting our employees up for success. And so what that looks like, you know, in the the short term is really thinking about how are we defining our audience, right? And how are we staying on top of who engages with us and even applying that perspective gaps model to, you know, who are potentially being left out of the conversation and who do we tap into from an expertise um, to bring them on board into that conversation. The example that I always, I keep pulling to is my mom and this whole credit card struggle, right? Because it was a struggle to even get her to use a credit card to generate that generates points. And it made me think about, you know, even how we operate as a business and how inclusive our content is. People don't know what they don't know, right? So if I'm somebody that is looking to build wealth, but I also um, have the thought process or the belief system that all debt is bad debt, right? So I'm not utilizing a credit card where I'm getting cash back or my money is, you know, I'm making money while I'm spending money, right? Or I'm really risk averse when it comes to investing. I may not think to go and seek out content that says what's the top 10 best credit card, right? Or what is the top index fund right now. So also thinking about it through the lens of like, how can we jump ahead and think about, well, what about the folks that don't even know they need us and how do we reach them, right? To really continue on the path of financial empowerment. You know, it's interesting, right? Because like, and I, I'm just, it's just such a, like a meta discussion around wealth generation and credit and education, because like I'm talking to the person who leads DEI at NerdWallet. Uh, so I, I just, so it's just, it's just interesting to me. I'll say this is, you know, as somebody who has a fairly high credit score, mm-hmm. I really used to think that like the world is my oyster in terms right. of like, oh, oh, there's money. Just people's going to throw me money and things of that nature. And I also think that like, there are these narratives around, like when it comes to, and this is not me intimating that you're making the statement to be very clear right, um, of or that is your position, but like, there's these narratives that like, well, black people or brown people, historically marginalized groups, they are, they're ignorant, which is why right. they're poor. Or right. hey, if they were educated, they would, they would be, they, they would make more money if they didn't spend their money on Jordans or whatever. It's very like, right. it's very much so like a blaming, uh, it's much, very much so victim blaming. And I'm like, Yo, like this, the data shows that the biggest barrier in uh, wealth uh, generation and capital for black and brown communities is capital, right? It's and access, like, and access, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, and I'll like give it like a, like a more tact like a more technical example, it's like, yo, it's just it's just it's easy to make to get bread once you have it already, right? right. And I think like so it's so funny because like I used to talk about you know we think about like Jay Z like when that four forty four album dropped. And people were like, yes, this is like financial empowerment, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dog, Jay Z had four, Jay Z had $400,000 in tax free drug money, right? That was his seed money. His seed money, he had $400,000 that he, that was washed 
through whatever because technology at the time wasn't tracking dollars the same way the way it does now. And right. so, yeah, he had all this money that he th- he could then turn into the record label and then turn into, uh, you know, the clothing line and then turn into this and ventures into that and that and that. But like right. the reality is, is like, yo, like if there's a if there's someone in like a poor community mm-hmm. who, um, who who is who's barely making it. Day to day from the hourly job, mm-hmm. they have they have they have all these additional bills. They have debt because they're poor. Um, like you teaching them about how crypto is great, or right. teaching them about a about a certificate of deposit, or teaching them about even teaching them about how to use a credit card isn't actually going to help them get out of poverty, right? I right. think like so much of these narratives are around really like building up this middle class while like really ignoring uh, poor black and brown people. And right. so like, I, I think I I'm looking at content literally right now uh, mm-hmm. from nerd wallet from like 2021 and, and last year. And, um, and I'm confident there'll be more content this year. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm curious to you is like, what's your perspective on nerd wallet, like supporting and driving equity for mm-hmm. not just like middle-class communities, yep. but poor people. hundred percent. And that's it. Thank you. That is a great question. And it's a, it's a perspective that isn't talked about a lot. And it goes back to my point of why I'm like, people don't know what they don't know. And you brought up a really good point around time. I mean, people don't have time sometimes to invest in this space the way that they should and they need to, and and absolutely don't have the capital to access and the resources. Um, So as a head of DIB, that is a, that is a challenge, right? That, you know, we think about and, um, you know, I, I just, grew my team a little bit. And those are the areas in partnership with our CSR team. We do have a really awesome corporate social responsibility team that we will start, you know, workshopping and really trying to drill down and figure out is, again, reaching the the audiences that our content as equitable as we try to make it may not reach them. So what are other entities that we can tap into, right? And I know our CSR team, and if anyone's interested in reading our ESG report that's on our website, our CS our CSR team, um, you know, started a really amazing initiative where they um, invest X number of dollars into community banks, right? That are focused on reducing the, um, you know, financial gap through the form of grants, right? And so I'm actually had a conversation with one of our leaders on the CSR team around how do we expand that and how do we tap into the perspectives that we have at our company um, that could represent some of the communities that need the support to expand that dollar reach to try to level the playing field from a access standpoint, right? And it, it's tricky for companies, right? Because you are, it's the balance between wanting to remedy um, longstanding systemic barriers while also sustaining and maintaining a business, right? Um, And that's where our CSR team in partnership with my team um, are really going to start to partner. And I should add that I've been at NerdWallet for four months. So a lot of we, NerdWallet has done a great job of setting foundation as it relates to DEIB. And as I'm coming in, these are some of the areas, right, that they've wanted to address and with me and my team at the company, we can partner better to start really thinking through how do we expand not just the, the content empowerment side of it, but also um, the, you know, access side of it. So one thing I would love to call out is um, we have our app, right? And I recently started using the app itself. And what's really cool about the app is, um, there really is no qualifier to download the app and just at minimum put in your information. And um, most recently, I actually got a pop-up 
that's um, adopted the 50, 30, 20 um, savings model, right? Which, as you know, there's so many people that don't even have a formula, right? For savings and things of that sort. My mom always told me, and coming from a working class company, like, even if it's a dollar, even if it's 50 cents that you can put aside for a rainy day, do it, right? Because over time, um, it grows. And um, the app now has that feature where it actually breaks down your expenses um, based on that formula. So you can even get some visibility and insight, just baseline information on where your money is going to even empower you to control that if you can, right? And even with folks that don't have that much control, there's still a little bit of wiggle room. It's just a matter of knowing how your money is being spent how, or how much is actually going to necessities versus wants versus savings, you know, and really controlling that as much as you can. Nah, a hundred percent. I think, and I, and, you know, to your point about like first generation, I think, you know, especially when it comes to matters of around finances and just wealth generation, I think about it. It's personal to me, similar to you is I'm a first generation as well. I'm a first generation, um, man on my debt, my mom's side to start and graduate from a four university. And then I'm a yeah. second generation reader. Right. So my dad, my dad and my uncles taught my grandfather how to read. So, you know, I, it's sensitive to me. Right. And I think about like, even I just, it's tough. It's just tough. Uh, shy. Like when you think about, when you talk, when we talk about money and we talk about these systems, it's like, look, you can have as many structures and like system and like plans and formulas as you want. It's like, yo, it's hard to make, uh, it's hard to fit, you know, $20 into your, in, into a formula and survive because, right. Right. Cause if your rent is, you know, we talk, we look at now some of these rate rent rates are starting to level off a little bit, but things are way more expensive now. Things are more expensive now than they were a year ago. Right. And so it's like six months like th- ago, six months ago. Right. <laughs> it's like, there's this like real tension right. and put pull between like, individual accountability and these and then also like not being price gouged right right and like that's from and like hell i was looking at some youtube video talking about uh and this this youtube video was old it was like you know eating on a budget now now my money is not bad right but i still because of just my background i actually have a habit of looking at like um videos that help you stretch your money right so it's Mm -hmm. like hey here's a meal you can make that's only like 35 cents a saving i really for serving rather i really love that type of content Mm -hmm. so anyway there was this video (laughs) this person was talking about eggs they were like you know you can use these egg eggs can do this and you can use it for this put it in that i was like well damn you can't even eat eggs like that no more you know what i mean like that's not even like that used to be like a staple an easy thing hey i got i got a dozen eggs for whatever a couple dollars my thoties in the in the i can i'll scramble them up i'll put them in the I'll boil them or whatever. And it's just like, yo, even that now is, you know, so, but, 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 help, but I do appreciate your answers. And, and, you know, it's funny because I, while you're giving me these answers and, and the things that you're stepping up and you're doing and you, and you're, you have a team and you're working, you know, you're, you're empowered in this organization. Um, and you have a roadmap at how you're going to move forward. I guess the, the underlying question there is so often I see, right? Living Corp has been around for like five years reach reach hundreds of thousands of black and brown professionals every month mm-hmm. um you know we're, we're we're constantly trying to center and amplify black and brown voices and i've talked to a lot of uh black women in these positions these dei positions mm-hmm. um and you know frankly like it's a revolving door right like honestly there have been brands people have come on here to like talk about oh i'm announced i'm a new <laughs> i'm the new head of dei and then right. like six six months later they at some other place right and so i guess my the the point of saying that uh shy is to ask you like 
What are your key performance indicators mm -hmm. that you're getting what you need from NerdWallet so that mm -hmm. you can be successful? Mm -hmm. Great question. Great. Such a good question. You're absolutely right. It's a revolving door and we move around a lot. And the reason, and I, I want to start before I answer the question, kind of the reason, right? The reason for that is this work is, is it's not easy, right? When you are having to influence and when you're having to um, almost pitch, right? Why this is important, why it matters, why someone has to fundamentally change how they have been doing things that for them isn't broken, right? Like it, it's worked, it's made you know companies money and you're coming in and you're telling them, well, yes, you need to think about this differently. And going back to your earlier point around like, even with the best intention and even with, you know, striving to empower folks financially, there's so many nuanced factors, right, that go into that, that no, no one entity can address, right? It's a collective, you know, there's a whole providing access to jobs for so people can make more money, you know, piece two. There's, there's so many factors that go into it, right? And so coming in and being the person to not only say, hey, we need to fundamentally shift and think about these things, um, and try to problem solve them. That takes time, it takes energy, it takes resources. And again, it doesn't necessarily either impact the group that's having to make the change, right? Or they don't necessarily, it's not their lived experience. It can be emotionally draining, it can be emotionally taxing, and it requires a lot of emotional uncentering. So what has worked really well for me in, in the, you know, hand, the, 10 years that I've done this work is having a tribe, right? Having a group of people that I can lean on and I can vent to after I've had that really difficult conversation. So I think that's, that's step one. And that's kind of outside of the organization. Now, tying back to the organization and what, you know, the organization can do and afford and organizations can do and afford to folks that are in this space is accountability, right? Like, um, I am of the belief, and I will always say this, is that DEI um, and this practice, this function, will have to shift to sustain over time where it becomes embedded in everything that we do, right? So eventually it's business as usual. And I'm fortunate to work for a company, company like NerdWallet where there is leadership buy-in, right? Folks understand that this work is incredibly important. And, you know, are we perfect like other organizations? No, right? But the desire and the, the passion and, you know, the wanting to take ownership to really embed this in everything that we do and how we operate as a company is there. I work for other organizations where that wasn't the case, right? It was very much like, you know, we'll let you do your thing. Just don't bother us. But to make long-lasting change, everyone, it has to be an all-hands-on-deck approach, right? And so where that starts is accountability and ownership. It's like everyone understanding, just like finance, and I love to compare it to the finance function where every organization has a finance department and fi the finance department essentially drives the strategic direction, of, you know, the company from a financial perspective, they may drive, you know, the inputs and the outputs, etc. But the reality is, in order for the company to continue to hit its you know, business objectives, and business goals, everyone has to take ownership and champion being very 
conscious and being a, a steward of the you know finances, right? Not overspending, budgeting, sticking to a budget, etc. It's a co-opt approach. And you know, DEI has to be the same. It can't be like, oh, that's just a silo program off to the side. It needs to be, yes, there's a DEI team or there's a head of DEI that may drive the strategic direction, but it's on everybody to take that all hands on deck approach to at minimum want to create an inclusive environment on your team. At minimum, want to provide access and opportunity through job opportunities for everyone, regardless of how they identify, right? And then we can get into the the bread and butter of embedding it into the product and how we show up and how we serve our global community and all those pieces. So that's always top of mind for me. I definitely, as um, I, maybe the last two jobs, um, as I was interviewing, I always joke that I kind of interview them more than they interview me because this is more than just a job to me. It's my lived experience, right? It's my passion. And so I'm not in the business to come in and be performative, right? And just be a stand-in so an organization can say that they have this and they're focused on this. Like if I'm going to join an organization, my expectation is that there's going to be ownership and accountability. Um, and more organizations need to adopt that mindset because that will, in my opinion, um, and in my experience, will minimize the burnout and the churn and the emotional drain when you feel as if you're making an impact because everyone is on board. And to your point around performative, right? Like I think in this season more than ever, uh, I think organizations have a, um, there's a real temptation to really lean on the theater and the performative work as opposed to anything that's really disruptive, transformational, or um, in any way reimaginative. And so like, I guess I'm curious as you think about like our political landscape and where we're going, Mm -hmm. we talked a little bit, we are going to allude to it a little bit earlier. You look at like DeSantis and other politicians who are really driving um, a lot of anti-black, anti-women, anti-trans, anti anti anything that is not uh white hetero male mm-hmm. um what what are what are con- what any concerns what concerns if any do you have about like the this space uh, in your work as you look between like just now and let's say mid 2024 yeah that's that's a really good question um if i'm being honest i really try not to um engage in a lot of that and not politics per se, but engage in a lot of the divisive narratives. Cause for me, they're very triggering. Um, and you know, just real talk Tuesdays, I'm not trying to develop high blood pressure. And sometimes I feel like that's where <laughs> I'm headed. If I, if I consume that too much, I consume enough to know, you know, what's happening, what's being said, and what's the general narrative. But um, as it relates to my day-to-day, it really affirms why, you know, this work is necessary um, and why we need to continue to not only have these conversations around, like, the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion, but also I try to think about what is my span of control and what is my influence, right? And for me, my activism is in the workplace because we spend most of our time at work, right? So if I can drive these conversations in a way in the workplace, folks take these conversations home and they pay dividends and they have long lasting impact. So as I think about the work itself, um, am I, because of these narratives, for example, am I really concerned about, you know, 
um, the future of this work. No, if anything, I feel like it's all going to come to a head and this work is going to be um, even more necessary because the reality is you can try to erase whatever you are trying to, whatever they are trying to erase, right? You can try to silence and you can try to weaponize and you can try to do all the things to, you know, in my opinion, make yourself either relevant or at the center of the conversation or comfortable or pandering or whatever, whatever the goal is, right? Whatever, whatever the the narrative is of the day, but we are still a global community and you can't get away from that, right? When we talk, you said something earlier around um, sometimes a misconception of why someone isn't wealthy. And, you know, oftentimes that narrative is that, you know, they're ignorant, they don't know, et cetera. Reality is if we're talking about the black community, the black community spends $1.7 trillion, right? Every year. And that, that number continues to go up. Actually, I worked for a company where I um, had to actually pull some of this data for a project. And three years ago, it was $1.3 trillion, and last year it was $1.7, right? And, and I might be a little off with those numbers, but it's in the trillions. Um, and so at the end of the day, you have the system doesn't work, right, without people, you know? And so no matter how much you try to erase and silence it eventually comes to a head and we've seen it time and time again. We've seen it at so many points in history as recent as 2020 where racial equality wasn't the conversation. And then something happened, right? And they'll call it a spade a spade murder of George Floyd and countless others. And now all of a sudden there was a focus and a shift, right? Where folks needed to have and engage in that conversation. So what I like to share with people around, you know, how do we remain productive, right? Um, with all of these narratives and conversation, I, I call it the anti-conversation. You can insert anything in the anti-conversation. Is focus on the micro, right? Regardless of what's happening at the macro, because the reality is tomorrow a law could be passed that it is illegal for me to lead an implicit bias workshop in the workplace, right? And if that happens, you know, very unfortunate because, uh, quite frankly, I can't wrap my mind around why you wouldn't want to promote uh, a fair and equitable workplace for everyone because everyone benefits from that, not just people of color. Um, However, it does not get in the way of focusing on the micro, right? Just because I may work for an organization that doesn't have a company-sponsored DEIB you know, program. And to clarify, NerdWallet, I'm here, obviously I'm at NerdWallet, but for anyone out there that works for a company that doesn't have, uh, you know, a company sponsored, a company endorsed DEIB strategy or team, or for folks that, you know, may live in a state where there is a push to erase and silence and all the things that we see happening, that doesn't mean that you as an individual can't create an inclusive environment on your team, right? That doesn't mean you can't look to the left and fairly give an opportunity to somebody that deserves opportunity. That doesn't mean that as a manager, you can't fairly manage the people on your team and be equitable across the board, right? DEI in its essence is really just having the right representation and increasing representation in a way that reflects our global community. Inclusion just means having the right practices on the team where everyone feels included. And then equity simply means meeting people where they are so they can succeed. And I don't think we need any sort of, we shouldn't have to have legislation 
or a company endorsed, you know, and obviously I'm not trying to talk myself out of a job because we need it, right? But we shouldn't need that to, as individuals, commit to doing what we all learned in kindergarten was to treat others how we want to be treated and also treat others how they want to be treated, right? So that's really how I'm navigating that conversation of like, focus on the micro, right? Focus on what you can do as an individual to advance this work because without people um, making the right decisions, right? And, and, and showing up the way that we need them to show up, um, it all falls on deaf ears. And then some of that micro influences the macro, right? We've seen time and time again, where as people, we can put pressure, you know, we have more power than we think. Uh, how many stories have we heard of brands not representing, you know, certain people in the right way? And all we have to do is say, we're not shopping there. And overnight, <laughs> we get a letter of we're listening, we're learning, we're going to do better. You know, we hired this person and that person, right? So it's like, I think how we should, again, as infuriating as a lot of these narratives are, it's like focus on the micro and what you can control. And at minimum, we can all commit to looking across and, and wanting to champion each other as each other's business. You know what? I love that. You know, I, I think the last question I'll ask for you is, you know, you think about, again, like we're in this, we're like in these two ever growing realities. Um, right. We have an increasingly black and brown nation and right. all the data shows that uh, the nation is not getting paler. It's getting browner. Right. Uh, we're, we also, though, have uh, a, a, a white constituency um led really driven by the GOP but then i mean just uh, people people on that that um ideological spectrum um from from extreme uh from extreme bigotry homophobia xenophobia etc to more moderate uh, genteel conservatism who are really seeking to maintain the status quo um delegitimize um, various identities, experience um, to uh, take away agency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so like, I think that there's going to be this tension where corporate leaders are going to believe that they don't have to, we're already seeing it, right? We're already seeing mm -hmm. like the divestment of diversity, equity, inclusion. We're seeing black and brown people being disproportionately impacted by uh, layoff decisions. And so I guess, what would you say to organizations that are, following the trend or they feel emboldened mm -hmm. to read to backtrack mm -hmm. um in light of again the political landscape mm -hmm. uh, and then and again like but then also in context of the fact that the workforce is going to continue to be diverse right right great question and goes back to my point around like defining what diversity equity and inclusion means to you right in your organization, because again, at minimum, diversity, equity, and inclusion doesn't point to specific groups of people, if you really think about it from um, just the, their definitions, right? And so for any organization, this is my promise, like caveat, this is my perspective, any organization that is using any sort of macro conversation, narrative, landscape, et cetera, to take their foot off the gas, um, as it relates to this work, um, it really is like taking that beat and taking that pause and really asking yourself as an organizational leader, how do you define those three words, number one, 
And number two, what are the greater implications when you are not leveraging the right perspectives, right? And if you're okay with those implications, you know, Godspeed, right? Because again, we've seen time and time again where it eventually comes to a head and we've seen um, folks reinvest, not invest, you know, in the, the ping pong and going back and forth. Um, and so, yeah, I, that's really my, my thought around any organization that's really using this as an opportunity because that's how I feel about it, using this as an opportunity. And, and it's interesting too, because we see it in the, um, we've seen it in the DEI space, but I'll argue we also see it in any sort of people investment, right? It seems like whenever there is um, any sort of micro, macro, sorry, macro narrative and or um, macro um, financial implications, right? So looming recessions, et cetera. We often see folks um, decide to not invest in people programs in general, right? Whether it's DEI, whether it's learning and development, whether it's culture and engagement, HR initiatives, et cetera. And so um, I, the reason why I pivoted, and I actually didn't add this in the beginning, I didn't start my career in this space. I actually started my career in biotech in a completely different capacity. I started doing clinical research and then moved into biotech consulting and ultimately made the decision to pivot because I wanted, based on this conversation for another day, just based on my experiences um, in, in that sector and up until that point in my career, I had decided that organizations don't understand that people are your number one asset, right? You have the dopest product in the world. You can be making all the money, right? If you don't have an engaged workforce that feels that sense of belonging, that represents, you know, the audience that you're serving, that feels empowered to speak up and speak out, you really run the risk of not maximizing your success. And in this age of innovation, in this age of AI, and in this age of the algorithm and all the things, right? If you are not staying sharp and innovative, it just takes one company to come in and do what exactly what you're doing just a little bit better, right? And oftentimes that company was founded by somebody that you didn't value at your organization that went off and started their own thing, right? Um, and so again, going back to your question, it's like really having organizational leaders really understand that people are your number one asset. So as you think about um, no longer investing in these people-oriented programs that only enable the success of your company, what are the implications there, right? And are you thinking about it the right way? And I always give go back to that finance analogy of like, if you value these functions, like you value the finance function in your organization, would you discard them in the way that sometimes they are discarded? And I've been impacted by a layoff, right? I was, I was, uh, you know, many companies ago, my role was deprioritized because of the financial implications of the COVID-19 pandemic, right? Um, and again, it's a question that I always challenge leaders to go, you deprioritize it, but what are the implications? And you want almost ask yourself, why would you want to deprioritize something that is, focus on empowering your people to enable the success of your business. Well, see, and I think, I think that last part, like is, is, is the problem, right? It's like, when you think about a lot of these capitalist contexts, like they're really built and they're built on control. Right. And I think that you consider like the last like 30, 40 years and like the role the technology has played in really empowering and democratizing people with information and flattening access to, um, to coordination and, I mean, like even like all the union busting things, I just think that like 
I, I think like the larger and I it's funny because we had W. Kamal Bell on last year and I asked him, I said, look, do you really think that like diversity, equity, inclusion work in its most honest and authentic framing is sustainable in like is really is it sustainable in in a capitalist context? Mm-hmm. And he was like, no. <laughs> and we busted out laughing. But like, but so much of when you think about diversity and inclusion, it's like and and belonging. Right. It's like, okay, well, so there's an invisible letter in there too, which is P, power. Right. And so like you think about like, okay, well, how much power do these organizations? I mean, historically they've been conditioned, and frankly, when you think about the nature of business, it's it's conditioned on it's been it's or predicated rather on and then and uh, a significant imbalance in power. And when you start right. talking about galvanizing people, particularly historically marginalized people to like, you know, advocate and have a voice and grow and learn and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it sounds great in theory, but it's scary to a lot of a lot of historically white institutions in practice. And, and it's so funny because I. I would disagree a little, respectfully disagree a little bit that Please. I actually think it is beneficial, right? Because yeah. again, we it's a we're a global community, right? Everybody has money to spend. That's why we work. We work to spend money and whether we want to or not, you know? Yeah. Um yeah. every like my mom jokes, she says, you know, um, recently we paid off our home, which was huge for us. Um, but she joked that um she was like, well, I'm still going to be in debt. And I was like, what do you mean? She was just like, you're in debt to yourself, right? You always, you're, you're always going to have to buy toilet paper. You're always going to have to buy toothpaste. You're always going to have to, you know, buy basic things. So you'll always be in debt to something financially, right? Because you got to take care of yourself and even taking care of, even your just pure existence costs money, right? Sure. And sure. so um, as an organization, and again, that's why I said I challenge leaders to think about how they are defining diversity, equity, and inclusion, because the reality is diversity in its essence is just diversifying, right? It's just having different groups of people in the room, right? And and in the conversation, and that doesn't exclude anyone. And I I really want to challenge folks to expand their thinking of like investing in, you know, black people investing in brown people investing in you know differently abled people it doesn't mean that other people are gonna miss out on something right there's an abundance of opportunity and we think about scarcity mindset versus abundant mindset and i think the problem with the conversation is that it's like well if if john gets a job you know what I mean? Jack is going to be on unemployment, right? And it's like, no, that's not the case. You're already here, right? It's mutually inclusive. It's not mutually exclusive. So it's like, we need to reframe our thinking. And there is not an organization that has invested in DEIB that has, um, that it didn't help, right? There's so much data out there that shows that the more diversity you have on your team, the more empowered and the more um, included people feel the more successful a company is, right? Because again, you have people uncovering gaps and blind spots and um, you're generating more ideas and things of that sort. But the problem is everyone thinks that there's just one pie, <laughs> right? And mm-hmm. if this person gets a slice, that means I'm not going to eat when it's just like, but we have enough to buy another pie and we all can <laughs> eat, right? And so I think that's where the conversation needs to to go. And that's where we need to stay of like, it's mutually inclusive, not mutually exclusive. And to your point, unfortunately, there are people um, that also have power and the power structures that either truly feel like by 
um, leveling the playing field and including more people in the conversation, they're going to lose out on something or they know that's not the case, but they're trying to convince others that that's the case, right? And in my experiences, I worked for a company in this capacity that was predominantly white male. Um, and we were able to not only drive the conversation in a way that's mutually inclusive, we were able to co-create, you know, a, a, a organization for a period of time where we were expanding, you know, we were casting a wider net because of the understanding was you're here, you have a job, right? So if we're bringing more women on the team, that does not impact your livelihood. If anything, it enhances your ability to succeed because the person that you're leaving out of the conversation might have the perspective that you need to get to that next phase of product development, right? So anyways, that's my soapbox. And I know, you know, most people say it's idealistic and optimistic, but I feel like you got to start somewhere. And if we can just start with that belief system that mutually inclusive not mutually exclusive right like we can hopefully you know impact our day-to-day in a way where we can get to an inclusive in my case an inclusive workforce then well well first of all uh it being optimistic or idealistic we all have perspectives that we carry and, and they're all needed right right like i'm i'm a like i i am a i would say i'm a staunch realist um <laughs> But guess what though? Like I need I need to be foiled by people who are really optimistic or right. even idealistic, right? Like you need all these perspectives to come together. And like I I look, I believe diversity equity inclusion is extremely positive. And right. there's we we've look, we've been talking about the value, the business case for DEI now for about twenty five years. More so longer if, longer than that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? And so then it's but like and like I'll say you can Google right now, business case for diversity. You're going to see something from 1999 mm-hmm. right now. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And so, mm-hmm. and so the, you know, it's, it's the, the question isn't if it's, if it's positive or if it's good or if it's, um, or if it's feasible or anything like that. The question is from at least my court, my overarching looming question. And I think as I continue to look at the landscape, I, I think I, I continue to get the same answer, uh, is, do the powers that be really want an empowered, uh, mm-hmm. enabled, mobilized communal workforce? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the, like, that's the question, right? And mm-hmm. so, and, and, and want, right? Because I used to think that, hey, look, if you're making money, people leave you alone. People spend money all the time to tamp down folks that, uh, would be beneficial to the economy. I mean, it's mm-hmm. so it's so you know. But anyway, look, shy. Uh, this has been a fine conversation. <laughs> I think you, we could we could. I think we could go on for probably another hour. And you're a friend of the show. You're welcome to come back anytime. I think the last thing I'll ask you before I let you go is any parting words or shout outs. Ooh, any parting words or shout outs? I wasn't prepared for that one. Um, parting. So I'll start with parting words. Parting words is um, I love that question of do the powers that be right? Want to do what's necessary for this to be meaningful. Um, And again, there's macro and there's micro, right? And so I'm going to shout out, you know, Nerd Wallet and, you know, Nerd Wallet's (laughs) and Nerd Wallet's, you know, quest to and mission to provide financial empowerment for everyone. And, you know, coming into an organization where uh, foundationally there's a commitment to DEIB, and doing it the right way and having the not only the necessary conversations, right, but also being open to um, 
shifting and reframing where necessary to just ensure that we continue to invest in this work. So I'll shout out my company. Um, but, and then, um, what, actually I, I still was going to say parting words, but I started with a shout out and parting words, um, I'll end with parting <laughs> words is, um, ultimately again, when it comes to this space, it, it's not easy. Right. But I appreciate you, um, for making room for this conversation in the different perspectives. And I just want everyone tuning in and listening in, regardless of how you identify or where you come from to really think about what is that one action? that you can take daily or what is that one commitment that you can, whether it's, you know, looking across the room and saying, Hey, I haven't heard, you know, my colleagues say anything. And I know they have great ideas. Let me shout them out or let me big them up Um, all the way down to, Hey, I have this role on, you know, my team and I have a perspective gap and I want to fill that perspective gap. Let me work with my recruiting team to figure out how do we do that. Um, Really define, you know, what that is for you and regardless of what's happening around you commit because i do believe that small actions lead to bigger impact right and so do the pop you know when we think about power structures are the power structures ready for the change maybe they are maybe they aren't right however i have been in in many situations and many organizations where through smaller actions we were able to kind of force the hand and maybe we weren't able to change the power structure but we were able to you know jiggle it a little bit right we were able to shift it a little (laughs) bit so um you know that those are my parting words of like think about what is the one small thing you can do that can have greater impact shy yo thank you so much for being a guest uh this has been a fire conversation we went almost a whole hour (laughs) so so dope um look i'm serious come back anytime uh you know what i'm saying maybe nerd hook me up with a little account or something you know i'm trying to i'm trying to get my financial literacy up too listen it sounds look just as much as you saying that you are a friend i'm a friend and i can come back we would love to definitely feature you we have uh some some really awesome groups um internally engage employees through our employee resource groups and we would love to invite you to be a speaker so let's figure out how we make that happen you see that, y'all? You see what happens in real time? You know what I'm saying? You're sharing value. No wild didn't come on here asking to just, you know, poach uh, all of y'all for free, getting free advertising, 100,000 people we engage. They're trying <laughs> to share value back. Shout out to all the, all, all the other brands. See, ner- look here. I'm going to just pause. Fourth wall break. Here we go. Listen, y'all. Brands, <laughs> stop hitting living corporate up, asking for free marketing for your leaders and your stuff and not trying to share anything back. It's ridiculous. All right. Respect black founders, respect black economy, respect black and brown creators by making sure that you're giving value back. Either dollars, brand, or some combination of both. All right. All right. Fourth wall back together. I'm, I've, I've put the fourth wall back together. Now we back in the living corporate universe. <laughs> Absolutely. We're talking about access and opportunity. Okay. Right. Right. Pass the mic. Create the Come space. on now. Love it. Love it. Shy, we'll talk to you soon. Perfect. Thank you so much. Peace. And we're back. Yo, I want to shout out Shy again. I want to shout out Nerd Wallet. Make sure y'all click the links in the show notes to learn more about what they have going on, the work that they're doing. And then also just about, you know, I would I would hope that you would take the time to like really investigate and interrogate Shy. Um, she's the real deal. I'm a fan. I'm excited to see how she grows. Nerd Wallet's DEI strategy how she uh, continues to be who, who she is in 
the space over there. I'm excited to support her. I'm excited to champion her on at Living Corporate. And I like you heard, she's welcome back anytime. Now, look, um, I love you. All right. I really care about you. Right. Like Living Corporate is a whole movement of love, like straight up. Like we started as a hobby. Now it's like this network. <laughs> Literally started as a hobby. Now it's a whole network. But um, I'm just so appreciative of you and take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Make sure you check out the merch on the site and um, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Tell your friends about us. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Till next time. Peace. Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.